0: Thank you, everyone. It's lovely to be speaking for you this meal this morning. So we live in an angry world. Just take a moment to think back over conversations that you've had this week. How many of them had a hint of anger in them? Maybe someone was outraged about a change that's being made at work, or someone was offended by how someone had spoken to them or treated them. Maybe someone was just hating on the government and the lockdown that we're in. Or maybe you saw an incredible bout of road rage. Perhaps in the situation you were the one feeling the anger, or maybe, just maybe, you had stirred it up in someone else. If your experience of the world is anything like mine, you have seen the reach of anger across our society. And the thing is, as a nation, we love to be outraged and to publicly share our feelings. You only have to look at newspaper headlines and social media feeds to see just how much we thrive on it and it can feel like there's a lot to be angry about. In fact, we're even told that we should be angry, that we shouldn't be too passive, that sometimes you have to shout to be heard or cause a scene to get your way. And worst of all, that if we aren't angry, then we're uneducated or naive, or we just don't care. Anger is celebrated and outrage has become the social norm. In the passage we're gonna look at today, we'll be focusing on what Jesus has to say about anger and looking at what that means for us and for our lives. If you've been joining us over the past few weeks, Duncan has been leading us through the Sermon on the Mount and looking at what Jesus's words mean to us today. And if you haven't heard those preachers, I really recommend that you go back and check them out. They really set the scene for the rest of this series. So we're going to read today's passage. It's Matthew 5, 21 to 26, if you want to turn to it think it should be appearing on the screen in a moment Um, and if you were here last week we're following straight on from the passage we were looking at then so it's all about which was all about Jesus being the fulfillment of the law so Matthew 5 21 to 26 you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment but I say to you Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Many of us will be familiar with a part of the law that Jesus is referencing here. Um, You shall not murder is one of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses. And the judgments that he refers to are covered through the laws elsewhere in the Old Testament. And I think we can probably all agree that don't murder people is pretty good as far as laws go. It seems like a pretty fundamental expectation for a society. We can see why it made the top 10. In fact, I would go so far as to guess that if you ask most people in the UK to name one of the laws in the Bible, they'd say something along the lines of, don't kill people. But the law isn't to not kill people. The law is specifically against murder. There's actually a distinction in the Old Testament between murder and other types of killing. I'm not going to get into all the intricacies of it now, but in essence, there's a difference between the intentional action of killing someone in anger and either accidental or judicial death. And the consequences of these actions was different We actually have a similar distinction in our own legal system where we differentiate between murder and manslaughter. The point is the intention matters and we are told not to kill in anger. And then Jesus goes further. and says it's not actually good enough to just not kill people. That's not the mark of righteousness. That's not the bar that is set. To illustrate this point, in verse 22, Jesus lists three offences and a corresponding consequence to each one, i.e. we are not to be angry with someone, to insult someone, or to call someone a fool, and if we do, we will be liable to judgment, liable to the council, and liable to the hell of fire. The commentators agree that this is not Jesus explaining the subtle differences between the consequence for calling someone a fool rather than insulting them or that doing one thing leads to one result and another to another. Instead, he has demonstrated that for all of these actions, the offender will be accountable. Something has to happen. We will be judged for being angry in the same way that we will be judged for murder. Now, I imagine that we all have some kind of list in our heads of behaviours that we think are and aren't acceptable towards others. In these columns, there might be things like calling someone a name, seriously injuring someone, mumbling complaints about them under your breath, slapping someone around the face, encouraging others to be angry at what they've done, swearing at them, ignoring them. Maybe there are other things on your list, maybe not. I'm not gonna ask you to share what's on them. But I imagine for many of us, certainly much of society, calling someone a fool just doesn't make it into the unacceptable column. But Jesus tells us that calling someone a fool demands judgment. The word fool isn't being used here because Matthew didn't want to put a curse word into scripture or because we've somehow watered down the translation over the years. It's not a substitute for what might be considered an offensive slur. Jesus says that calling someone a fool makes us liable to judgment because the act of calling someone a fool in anger comes from the same place as the act of murder. Now, this passage is the first of what are called the Antitheses. There are a series of six statements in which Jesus quotes the law and then interprets and extends the quotation to show the listener what the intention of the original scripture is. Earlier in the series, we saw Jesus claim that his followers needed to be more righteous than the super holy Pharisees, but that this doesn't just mean trying harder to follow the rules. Something similar is happening here. Jesus isn't making the entrance. Ex- Jesus isn't making the entrance exams to righteousness harder or arbitrarily adding conditions. Jesus is telling the listeners that just obeying the rules is not righteousness. True righteousness is a wholeness that comes from living a whole new way. It comes from living the law of God in the presence of God. The issue is what's going on in our hearts. One of the commentators I read to prepare for this preach put it like this. He, which is Jesus, traces murder to its dark lair in human hearts. Hatred. The God who sees in secret is not only affronted by the fruit, murder, but by the root, hatred. Hatred may not be accountable to a court of law, but it is to have no place among members of the kingdom. Anger will have to face the judgment of God. Now I watch a lot of BBC detective shows, you probably know the type I mean. There's a haphazard detective solving Impossible crimes, usually locked room mysteries by making truly remarkable realizations and bringing the truth to light. They're terrible, I love them, it's a thing. And there's one thing that seems to happen in almost every other episode. One of the suspects will be telling the detectives about an issue they had with the victim and they'll use the phrase, I was so angry I could have killed them. And then the detectives will share a knowing look as if the person just confessed to the crime the suspect is denying that they ever did anything. And because of how these shows work, it's almost never that person who turns out to be guilty because that would be far too obvious. It's a silly trope in a TV show, but there's some truth to it. When anger goes unchecked, it leads to thoughts of violence and to violent acts. The fruit might be different, calling someone a fool, wishing you could knock the smile off their face, killing them, But the root of anger is the same. And as I said earlier, our society is riddled with it. So what do we do? How do we live the radically different life that Duncan talked about a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Jesus's teaching on salt and light? Do we just move the items in our columns around so that we no longer consider calling someone a fool as an acceptable outlet for our feelings and just try really, really hard not to do that? Do we try and squash down any angry thoughts and feelings that we have and just pretend they aren't there? Or do we try to ignore everything that is going on in the world around us to shield us from situations that might make us angry? No, no, we don't we don't do any of those things. When we see the roots of anger in our hearts, we need to turn to God. We need to respond in prayer. And we need to ask Jesus, the one who came to fulfill the law to help us live it, and we need to do it with urgency. In the second half of the passage, Jesus describes two examples in which the listener is in a conflict. One is with a brother, meaning another disciple, and the other is with an accuser who is taking them to court. In both situations, Jesus tells the listener to seek reconciliation as quickly as possible. The first person is told to pause their act of worship to seek out their brother, and the second is told to settle the terms before they get to court. For the person who is on their way to court, Jesus instructs them to seek reparations in order to avoid being thrown in prison. There's an urgency to them making peace to avoid their ultimate punishment. They only have until the time of judgment to seek the reconciliation. For the individual who is mid act of worship, they're told to leave the offering where it is and go and seek that reconciliation. Now, logistically, that sounds like a nightmare to me. Having got to the temple, got to the point where you're ready to make an offering and then suddenly remembering that someone is angry with you and you have to leave the offering where it is. Go and find the person. I mean, they can just text each other to say, meet me me at the temple, have the conversation. Seek reconciliation and then come back to pick up where you left off. Jesus doesn't say to just finish up quickly and then go. He doesn't say to put it on a to-do list. He says that the moment we remember, we must go and be reconciled. It takes priority over whatever we're doing in the moment, even if that moment is one of worship, because there is no place for anger in the kingdom. When we're aware of the root of anger in our hearts or realise that we have incited it in the hearts of others, we need to seek reconciliation and repentance. And the great news is we can find reconciliation with our brothers and sisters because our God is the God of reconciliation. He has made a way for us to come back to him and restore our relationship with him. And so we, as his children, can be reconciled to each other. We can only deal with the anger in our hearts through living with Jesus. Remember, he's calling us to a whole new life in him, a life that means living a whole new way, a life that shows a deeper kind of righteousness than the Pharisees ever lived. And we can't live it alone. If we try to control our anger on our own, we might be able to stop ourselves from demonstrating it externally and resist the urge to call someone a fool but there will still be anger in our hearts. But through life in Jesus, we can live radically and root out that anger. Like the disciples, we must humble ourselves and seek Jesus, the one whose presence enables us to live out the law of God. We must turn to him to live the radical righteousness that counters so much of our society. I'm going to hand back over to Duncan now for a response.
1: Challenging, challenging words of Jesus, and I was just struck there as as Rianne was just finishing off of uh, the the specific nature of Jesus's words. There, that if we recognise anger in our hearts towards somebody, the priority that it has to take, even over worship, even over. I just think there, as Rianne was mentioning, uh, the, the idea being that it's more important than the thing that we might think is the highest thing. Oh, if I'm, I'm worshiping, if I do this, then, then surely, surely that's all right. Surely that covers everything. Do you say no? This has to be. We have to be honest with ourselves, and it has to be dealt with. So I just I, I want to invite you. We'll, we'll sing a song in just a moment, uh, and perhaps continue our response. After we've sung, but I guess just want to be laying the groundwork almost for us. That I think, to some extent, you'll probably know. Oh, is this is this me in in the specific sense of is there an unreconciled relationship? Is there angering festering in my heart to so towards someone or some circumstance this morning? And that I'm imagining that Jesus' words today have kind of nailed one or two, three, four, five people listening in this morning. But I think there's also something here for all of us. That that it's, it's easy, I, I don't know about you, but I find it incredibly easy to let myself off the hook. If I think, oh, I can't immediately see anger in my heart. I'm like, well, that's not for me today. But as Rianne was saying, what, what Jesus is doing here is he is he's going after and, and not allowing ourselves to, to be off the hook. That he's so desirous to be cleansing the, the inner person, the very depth of our being. He's not just about moderated behavior, but he's about bringing internal, inner transformation. That then leads to reconciled relationships again on a deep level, not just two people who can coexist. And so, Spirit, I simply ask would you come now? As we've been seeing in this series, your invitation is always to come to you because this greater righteousness that you're constantly asking your people into. It's just not something that we can do on our own. We can't live this, but you can bring it about in us. And so as we sing this next song, I want you to be perhaps acknowledging within yourself, okay, is there some specific anger? Is there someone that I need to reconcile with, begin the process with, begin to deal with in my heart? But for all of us, I think there's a, a work here for us to just be thinking, am I truly open? <laughs> am I willing to allow God to, to highlight where anger crops up in my heart, in my life? And then am I willing to allow him to challenge me on it and change me in it? So we're going to sing a song and then I will be back in just a moment. And we'll just do a bit of praying together to finish our time. Let's sing.